Good morning. It is good to be with you again this morning. We are uh, continuing our Epiphany series called Incarnation, uh, the Word made flesh in Jesus so that the Word could be made flesh in us, right? Um, but before we kind of jump into our scripture for today, um, I had the opportunity to, to... Yeah, that's what's doing it. I can hear myself, and that's really messing with me. Perfect. Thank you. Um, had the opportunity to be a part of the Celebrate Life thing yesterday and see all these teens and, and hang out with them for a while and, and chat and all that stuff. And I um, kind of got me thinking about my teen days. Um, and I, it, it, it made me realize like how much their experience has changed um, in the 20 whatever years since I was in that age group. Um, and one of the things I was thinking about was just like the advent of social media. Um, and it got me thinking about, uh, kind of as I was wrapping up the notes for the sermon this week, thinking about using social media to connect with old acquaintances. Like the kids that I went to school with at that age, I lost touch with when I graduated. Many of the, the teens this age will be connected forever via social media. They'll always, regardless of where they go to college or where they get jobs or marry and move across, they'll always be connected. But there was a time in my life where like Facebook kind of started taking off. And I wandered onto that app just to check it out. And that may have been a bad choice. Um, <laughs> but I started connecting with friends that I went to school with and, and old classmates and all those types of things. And uh, it was nice to reconnect, but it was also kind of piqued my curiosity. Like, well, I wonder what this guy's up to or I wonder how they turned out. And, and, and one of the things that kind of surprised me was how much people had changed, or how much their trajectory of their life had changed than what I expected. There was the kids that were always in trouble in school, <laughs> that either went off to college and turned their life around a little bit, and now, you know, are, are you know, professors, or maybe even work in the school, um, or kids that were always causing trouble, um, now married, um, you know, and had kids, and now are living, you know, you see Christian Bible verses posted on their Facebook page, or they're talking about church, or, or you see uh, husbands and wives, they're like, how in the world did those two ever end up together? Right? And, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, like, I tried to be the good kid. I mean, I was a good church kid. And, and so you just are told this narrative that if you, if you grow up and you do the right things and you, you're the good kid, like... Things are going to work out, but the kind of the flip side of that is if you're if you're the bully, if you're the bad kid, the bad student, like things don't work out for you. And then I'm looking at some of these kids I went to school with, and they're like they've got really good jobs, they've got really awesome families, and you're like, how in the world did they get from here to there? And uh, so, like I said, I, it was probably uh, it was nice to reconnect, but it was also one of those curiosity things where I was like, well, I'm curious where everybody landed. But I was looking at some of these people and going, how did they change? Like. Can people really change that much? The kid that I expected to, to you know, live at the, in the town that we grew up in and work at the McDonald's or something, because um, he never really applied himself, is suddenly running, he's a supervisor of an of a office in a, in a, anyways, like it's one of those things where it's just, can people really change that much? It's like, I thought I knew these people, and I would not have guessed that they would have ended up where they did. Have you, Have you ever, ever known, known someone, someone who changed, changed or grew in a way, way that you didn't, didn't expect? 
you know, by the time went by, or you're having conversations with them and they're like, they've made a decision to, to change their life. Maybe it was somebody you've known for a long time, somebody you knew really well, and then they've said they've changed or they start acting differently. And you had a hard time coming to grips with their new personality or their new attitude or their new behaviors. Somebody you knew for a long time suddenly tries to be different and if you're like me, maybe you're skeptical. Like, we'll see how long this lasts or why are you putting on the show. Well, today's scripture is a story about a, a boy that lived in a small town who uh, everybody knew, small town, everybody knew this boy. And he lived a relatively normal life until a point where everything changed in his life and he left his hometown. He went away from those, those kids that he grew up with. He left the families that he was part of in this village and he left. But the stories about him started to trickle back home. They started to hear uh, about this Jesus that was out and about doing things. I'm sure the conversation around the, the well or the, you know, the community uh, settings would be like, well, did you hear what he did? Did you hear about Jesus? Did you, did you hear what he's up to? Can you believe, like, do you believe that story? This Jesus, the, the little kid that we knew all along, like he's out doing these things. Do you hear who people think he is? Like there's people following Jesus. They think he's the Messiah. And so our scripture today picks up right where our scripture last week left off. In fact, it actually, uh, the first verse today is actually the last verse uh, from last week. So um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, verses 21 through 30. Luke 4, 21 through 30. It'll be on the screen. Um, and like I said, verse 21 was the last verse last week. Um, but it'll be on screen or feel free to follow along in your Bibles. Um, it starts like this. It says, then he began to say to them, Jesus speaking to the gathered crowd in the synagogue in his hometown. He began speaking to them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah went, was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard all of this, or when they heard this, all the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town, led him to the brow of the hill of which their town was built, so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. Um, pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, wondrous God, gather our minds that they may be one with you. Open our ears that they may hear your word. Soften our hearts that they may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. 
So like I said, the first line in this week's scripture is actually the last line in last week's scripture. And last week, if you were here or caught the message online, um, Jesus began his activities, his ministry activities, by going to his hometown of Nazareth. And he went to the synagogue, and, and the uh, attendant handed him a scroll from Isaiah, and, and Jesus stood up and read this scroll from Isaiah and, uh, that says that God had anointed him to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim uh, release for the captives, recovery of sight to those who were blind, and he was here to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus comes home, he goes to synagogue, to their church service, grabs the scripture, and reads this, which was one of these things that the people of Israel had been hoping for for a long time. This was the hope of Israel for hundreds of years, that God would send this Messiah, the anointed one, that God would, would send this one who would free them from their oppressors, who would make right all the wrongs that they were experiencing. Israel was never the big dog in the fight. Israel had been conquered and ruled by foreign empires, and the, the nation and the people had been under the rule of people like Assyria and Babylon and now Rome for a long time, for generations. And so the people were waiting for this Messiah to come and to fix that. Imagine you're one of these people from Nazareth for a moment. You've known Jesus for years. You've watched him grow up from baby to kid to teenager, young adult. You knew Jesus as a carpenter or a, a stone worker, depending on how you understand that translation, but you knew Jesus. He's the son of Joseph, they say, right? Like, you know him. You know his dad. He's Mary's son. You know his mom. They live right down the road. They live right there. It's just Jesus. And now you are hearing these stories about him and doing these things. Right? There, was, there was a story that made it back home about, well, he was baptized by John out in the wilderness, and the, there was a voice from the heavens that spoke when he was baptized. Another story that made it back home was about a wedding that ran out of wine, and somehow Jesus turned 150 gallons of water into the best wine. There was no newspapers in the state. There was no internet, social media. But word had gotten back that he was doing these things. But he never did these things in Nazareth. He didn't do those when he lived here. This is just a poor little forgotten village. Now, if he had done it, being able to produce all that wine could have been really good for, for the people of Nazareth. It might have brought resources into the community. It might have helped some people out. And yet you never saw Jesus do any miracles like that. And so... If you're anything like me, maybe you're skeptical as you hear these stories of Jesus coming back into the hometown. Maybe you've seen too many things in your life to buy into the hype, too many promises that didn't come true. As a lifelong Cubs fan, that's my testimony. Next year, we'll get them, right? right. You've had promises broken too many times. You've been excited about something good coming your way only to be disappointed by the reality of the situation. The hype didn't live up to the expectation. And so how likely is it that this Jesus, after all these years of not being the Messiah, all these years of not doing miracles, all these years of not being special and doing these things, suddenly is now the Messiah? Like, really? Am I supposed to buy that? 
the Nazarenes, these people of Nazareth, like so many Jewish people, were waiting earnestly, hoping for this Messiah to come. They, they wanted to be set free from these empires and these rulers, these foreign governments that controlled them for so many generations. And hope for them wasn't wishful thinking. It wasn't this, well, that would be kind of nice if it happened. But it was, this, it was their faith in God gave them this hope. This is something God is going to do in our lives. It was an expectation that God was going to deliver them from that current situation. And Jesus shows up in the synagogue and says, today those hopes have been fulfilled. <laughs> That's a big announcement. That sounds like really great news if it's true. Right? They've heard of the miracles, they've heard of the healings, the teachings, and so they're excited that Jesus might be. He could be this guy that we've been waiting for. And this, the verse today, one of the verses that we read a few moments ago, said that the people were excited when he announced this. It says they spoke nice things about him. <laughs> Jesus shows up and says, in me today, in this hearing, this has been fulfilled. Like, I'm this one you've been expecting. And they're like, well, we've always thought you were great. Right? You're the best. But Jesus knew not to get too comfortable with the nice things being said about them. Because he hears the, the compliments and the flattery. But he knew that they had their doubts about who he was. They knew that that compliment and that flattery would be short-lived. He knew that they were expecting him to prove to them who he really was. If Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, come back to Nazareth and help us here. If Jesus is the Messiah... Like, like, we're, we're going to benefit from this. this. It's going to work out in our favor. favor. He's, He's going to... Like, if, if, if the, the next king comes from our hometown, hometown we're going to make out really well in this situation. situation. Of course he'd take care of us. Jesus, Jesus is going to come and make everything great for us. Like, like you can, can almost hear their thoughts as they process this announcement. They might have been thinking, I doubt Jesus that I've known all these years that we grew up with. I doubt he's this one that God is going to send. But if he is, this could be really great for us. It's like the stories that you hear or read about or see on the news of, of somebody that, uh, that wins the lotto. They win the lottery, right? And all of a sudden, long-lost family members show up saying, I can't believe we've won the lottery. <laughs> Who's we, right? All of a sudden, it's, it's, it's team us, right? We're, we're all in this together. And that's kind of what's going on here. Is they, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he's the one that can turn water into wine, if he can do these things, well, he's one of us. This is really going to work out well for Nazareth. God is going to send someone to restore Israel to a place of power and prominence above all other nations, and Israel is going to defeat its enemies. Israel is finally going to win. And if Jesus is this Messiah, then all that winning is going to start right here in Nazareth. His hometown. He's going to put us on the map. He's going to make our lives better. Jesus had returned because he had been called to bless his own people. That's what they thought. And Jesus knew that that's what they were thinking. The scriptures say he anticipated their thoughts. He knew they, they were thinking, physician, heal thyself, he says. He quotes it before they have a chance to. They were expecting him to do the great things that they had heard about. The things that you did elsewhere, do them here. 
give us the blessing. Otherwise, we might just believe you're the same old Jesus you've always been in. And he senses their skepticism. He knows that their, their familiarity with him will cast doubts upon who he claims to be and what he claims his mission to be. If you don't do these miracles here, then what are you even doing? Right? If, if you don't do these things to benefit us, who are you really? Because in reality, we know you, Jesus. We've known you all your life. But in response to these thoughts, Jesus doesn't get defensive. He, he doesn't go, get, react to this doubt. He doesn't react to this. He doesn't uh, you know, pull out a, a jug of water and turn it into wine to prove who he was. He doesn't start performing miracles. He didn't heal anybody. He didn't even quote scripture. He didn't do any of those things as in response to prove who he was. There's no water and wine, no sick person being healed. In fact, Jesus makes the situation worse. He starts talking about the prophets never being welcome in their hometown. He talks about Elijah, a famous Old Testament prophet. and He was a prophet during a time where there was a great famine, the scripture says. There was a tremendous amount of need everywhere in Israel and throughout the region. It hadn't rained. The heavens were closed up, it says, for three years and six months, I think is what it said. It had been a while since it rained and there was no food. And Jesus points out to this crowd that Elijah only helped the widow from Sidon. Now, is anybody familiar where in Israel Sidon is? Are you familiar with where that city is? It's a trick question. It's not in Israel. It's in Lebanon. Jesus tells them during this great famine, Elijah, this great prophet, only helps one person. And that one person wasn't even from Israel. That, that one person he helped wasn't even one, one of the chosen people. And, and then, then, if that wasn't enough, he goes on and brings up another prophet named Elisha. And Elisha lived in a time where there were many lepers. There was sickness everywhere. But Elijah only helped one leper, according to the scriptures. It was a man from Syria, which you may know is not in Israel. So what is Jesus saying here? Not only did these prophets not help all their people, not only did they, they, they only help a very small number of people, but the people that they did help were Gentiles, not Jews. They were the outsiders, not the insiders. One commentary I looked up compared this message that Jesus was doing uh, to a like, pre-game uh, speech, uh, speech for the, for the big, big football, football game, game right? right? So, so you got, got the, 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 the pep talk. You know, your star quarterback before the game shows up and says, I, I'm here to release the captives. I'm here to, to make sure that all your hopes are realized. Your expectations are fulfilled in me. Like, I'm the guy. We're going to go out and we're going to, you know, I'm the one that you've been hoping for. I'm the most talented. This is... Everything you could have bought for in a star quarterback, that's me. I'm going to make all these things happen. And his sermon from last week, his, his reading of the scriptures in the synagogue was that pep talk. Like he got his crowd excited and worked up. They were very thrilled about Jesus being this one. They worked up into a frenzy and they're excited about what God was going to do. And then Jesus announces in this week's scripture 
that that star quarterback who showed up was going to play for the other team. Right? The, the prophets, they didn't help the people of God. They helped the Gentiles. The prophets came and, and, and helped the outsiders, the unclean people. And that's what Jesus is telling these people from Nazareth. God sent help. God sent the Messiah to save. But God didn't send the Messiah just to save you. We have uh, the first slide, and this is an important thing I want us to, to take home today. The Messiah wasn't called to bless Israel over its enemies. That wasn't the job of the Messiah. The Messiah came to call Israel to bless their neighbors. Right, well, one of the things that we get confused about or forget about Jesus is not only did he come into the world to reveal God to Israel, right? Not only did he come to give us a good picture of who God is, but he came to fulfill the role that Israel had been called to. He came to keep up Israel's end of the covenant deal. He came to live the way that God wanted his creation to live. Israel had made a covenant promise with, with God, and, and they said, you know, we will live this way, you will be our God, and we will be your people. But they never did it. They kept failing over and over and over again. And so when Jesus comes, not only does he reveal God to people, but he reveals Israel, the true Israel, to the world. This is what God wanted from his people. And Israel from the beginning, the earliest promises to Abraham was, I will, I will bless, bless you so, so that you will be a blessing, blessing to others. And so, so Jesus shows up saying, I am in that line. They had their own expectations about what God was supposed to do with the Messiah, but Jesus understood the job description a little differently. And the scriptures at this point say that the crowd grew into a rage. And I think at this point we can understand why. You've just gotten the best news ever. The Messiah is here. And then Jesus kind of implies pretty directly that he's going to work for the other team. Or at least it's not going to benefit you. This isn't the shortcut to the top that you were hoping it would be. So the local boy who grew up amongst them doing the same things that they did in the small village out in the middle of nowhere goes off. Rumors come back that he's doing great things. And when the people of Nazareth start expecting and hoping that Jesus would do those great things with them, that that would change their lives, that they would be the ones to receive this, that they were somehow going to get to the front of the line. Jesus would come and make life better for them. If he was really God's chosen, if God had actually called this Jesus, he would come and make their life better. But when they find out that that's not the case, at least not exclusively, they get angry and chase him to the edge of the cliff, wanting to throw him over. And the Bible tells us that he just walked away at that point and goes about his ministry. Now, there's a lot of things we could try and bring into our lives today. There's a lot of different ways to go with this scripture uh, based on the story. But today I want to talk on a more personal route. Ask yourself this question. Can people actually change? Do you think people can change? Can the Holy Spirit actually create real change? The last several weeks I've been preaching about the Holy Spirit uh, showing up and Jesus showing up in our lives and there being transformation and sanctification and people being made holy. 
Two weeks ago, Jesus took ordinary water and made it into wine. Last week, we talked about the connection between the Holy Spirit and God's mission and his holy people. I said something to the effect that God can show up in our lives. God calls us to participate in this great mission that he is doing in the world and make us holy people. Have you experienced this? If you've been a Christ follower for a while now, can you look back and see that you're not the same person that you used to be? Can you see that the, the work of God in your life has brought about real change? You're not the same person that you once were? That God has been shaping you more and more into the image of Jesus? That all of the church activities and all the time in prayer and devotion and Sundays in service, worshiping, and, and all of that, has that been shaping you more and more like Jesus? Can you look at your life and say, God has shown up, and I am different because of it? This really happens. This is true. God actually does heal wounds. God sets people free. God gives people new life. Have you experienced this in your own life? Do you believe that God can do this? Is this your experience? If it's not, if you haven't ever experienced that, if you can't look back and go, oh, I'm not growing, I'm not experiencing new life. If it's not your experience, it can be. Because this is what God does. In a few moments, we'll conclude this this time of worship gathering, and I'll pray, and I, I want to invite you, if that hasn't been your experience, to ask God to bring healing, to bring transformation, to bring new life, to bring peace, bring whatever it is that you need. The Bible says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find. Those are the words of Jesus. Those are his promises to us. But for those of us who said, yes, I've experienced the work of God in my life. I can see that I'm not the same person that I used to be in one way or the other. Have you experienced that moment that happens after God does something in your life? Where you know that something has changed, where you've experienced it, and you know that you know that that was God doing something in your life, but those around you have no idea that you've experienced that? They have no idea what God is doing? Have you experienced some growth in your faith only for people to respond the same way that those Nazarenes responded to Jesus? We know you. There's no way you have changed. You're the same person we've always known. Or maybe you have changed, but not the way that you're saying. Have you ever tried to explain to your family or maybe a spouse or a significant person in your life something that God is doing in your life? Have you ever experienced that moment of clarity or peace where you sense that God is doing something in your life? Maybe you're excited about it. Maybe you sense God calling you to do something, to step out in faith, to, to, to serve in a new way or to, to participate in the life of the church in a different way or to, to go back to school or to do whatever. You feel God is leading you to it and you share it with somebody and you're all excited and they're, they're not sure that you've grown. They're not sure that this is really God. That might not be for you. Have you felt God calling you to make a stronger commitment to faith or participation in the life of the church? To find out that maybe your spouse or significant other has no idea or no desire to make that step? 
Have you ever experienced the transition, the tension when God is transforming you only to find out that those closest to you kind of wish you'd stay exactly how you are? Why do we got to go and change things right now? Why do you want to do more for the church? Why do you want to spend more time there? Why do you want to put more in the offering plate? Why do you want to teach that class? Who do you think? Wait, who, you're going to tell somebody about the Bible? You're going to teach the Sunday school class? Like, like, have you, you ever been, been excited, excited about what God, God is calling you to do, only, only to find out that people don't expect you to be somebody that's being transformed by God? God. Or, or maybe, maybe they, they say, say well, well, if God's, if God's doing, doing this, how does that, that make my, my life, life better, better right? right? <laughs> like, yeah. They expect, they expect kind, of kind of like the people of Nazareth expected. expected. Well, if God's, God's doing, doing something, something we're going to win. As God, As God works in your life, life? as God, God makes you holy, as God, God calls you towards new life, life? have you, you ever shared, shared with someone what you felt that God was doing in your life, and instead of them being excited for you, they sound a lot like the Nazarenes in the story, I know you, quit pretending to be someone you're not. Have you ever felt like the, the breath of God has, has filled your lungs, has given you new life and new energy only to have those closest to you come and suck that life right out of you, to suck that breath right back out? As a pastor, I've seen this in, in married couples, although it's not unique to that relationship, but it happens often there when one is committed to faith and the other is not. One is in church on Sunday super excited about what God is doing in their life, and the other one is kind of working in the background, trying to tamper things down. Let's not get too crazy about this Jesus thing. One is growing and getting excited about God, and the other just wishes things would just stay how they are. It can happen in other relationships, too. You feel God calling you to change some area of your life, and maybe that changes your social priorities and social agendas. Your habits are changing. Maybe the jokes that you used to think were funny aren't anymore I mean that's a silly example but it's a real one maybe you just don't find that as humorous or entertaining as you once did maybe going out with the guys after work doesn't seem as enjoyable anymore and they just don't understand why like where'd you go man I thought we were friends maybe you get together at family gatherings and suddenly you feel like an outsider because God's been doing something in you and through you and your family just doesn't get it. They don't understand. Conflicts and tensions have existed for years suddenly are more magnified because God is at work in your life in a way that they don't understand. Have you ever been accused of thinking you were better than somebody else because God is doing something in your life? Have you ever been told to quit pretending to have changed? We know you. Just knock it off. This will last a couple weeks and you'll be right back where you are. Quit pretending to change because people can't really change. We don't really want people to change. It's hard enough with the doubts and fears that live inside of us already. Walking in faith, saying yes to God is difficult enough with our own insecurities and our own doubts and our own fears. But then you hear other people, important people in your lives say, yeah, that's not real. We know you. Just knock that off and be yourself again. You can't really change anyways. When you hear that, it makes things so much more difficult. But if you've ever experienced any of that, I want you to know that other people's faith journeys are different than yours. Right? We don't all hear the call. We don't all see Jesus work in our lives at the exact same time or in the exact same way. 
So God does things differently in each and every one of our lives. That's just how God works. But if you felt that tension because you're saying yes to God and those around you have no idea what God is doing in your life or they can't understand or they can't comprehend why you are doing what you're doing, I have good news for you today. If those around you do not understand what God is doing in you and through you, be encouraged because Jesus is with you. This was his experience when he went home and said, this is what God is doing in me and through me. This is my mission. This is my purpose. And they said, yeah, no, we're going to throw you off the cliff. This is the exact experience Jesus had. He understands better than anyone what it feels like to have people's expectations and doubts placed on your shoulders. Here at the beginning of his ministry, his own town wanted to throw him off a cliff. And of course, this is just even a foreshadowing of, of the Good Friday situation where his own people start chanting, crucify him. He's rejected by his own. They don't understand what God is doing through his life. But Jesus can teach us something in this story. He doesn't let the doubts, he doesn't let the expectations derail him from what God is doing in his life. He doesn't, he doesn't tell, tell God, God no. He doesn't, he doesn't abandon the mission or abandon the call when things got hard because, because people wanted him to do something else. He keeps telling God yes. yes. He, keeps he keeps focusing on what God is calling him to do. So, so we should follow Jesus' his, his example when we are faced with those same doubts and expectations. The scripture says he walked through the crowd that meant to throw him off the cliff. He just walked through the middle of it and went on his way. That doesn't, doesn't mean he abandoned them, them though. Right? He, he didn't, didn't forget about them. He didn't ignore them. It wasn't the end of the relationship. In fact, Jesus dies for their sins too. But it meant that Jesus kept telling God yes. He kept saying, your will be done, not mine. He continued on this path that God was leading him on. And so it's an invitation and an encouragement to us for us to continue on the path that God is leading us on. In these moments, we see Jesus trust in God more, not less. That we should trust in God more, not less. And if you turn the page in your Bible and see what Jesus does next after leaving his hometown, you'll see that he goes off and he starts casting out demons out of a guy. And then he starts healing people of physical diseases. He just, he just goes, goes back, back to the mission and goes about his business. And, and so if you are a Jesus follower who is growing in your faith, if you are taking steps and, and, and saying yes to God and saying yes to Jesus, there will be people close to you who do not understand what you are doing. There will be people that you care about and that care about you that will not comprehend or understand what God is doing in your life. They may even doubt that you can change or that you can grow. They may expect you to be a certain way or to do certain things, and you've changed the way that you go about your business. There will be tension because you are growing and changing. You've probably experienced it already. If you've been a Christian for any length of time and taken it seriously, you've probably experienced it already. But the answer is not to give up on God or give up on your faith when things get like this. The answer, the answer is, is to keep, keep telling God, God yes, to keep growing, because God is at work setting you free from your baggage, setting you free from the things that hold you back and hold you down. 
The truth is God is working to equip you and empower you through the Spirit for a mission that God has planned for you. God might be preparing you to be the one that helps your spouse take their next step in faith. God might be calling you to be the one who invites your friends to come to church or to join you in a Sunday school class or a small group. God might be working in you, preparing you, equipping you, calling you to bring healing to your broken family. So don't give up. Saying yes to God is the most important thing you can do. Instead of backing away from God to ease the tension, to say, oh, this is just... This, this tension, like the farther I move to Jesus, the closer I move to Jesus, the farther I move from these people that I care about, there's this tension, this tension, so I'll just back it off a little bit. Instead of backing away, trying to ease the tension, learn to lean even more upon God. To find your strength there. The harder it gets, the more God needs to be the source of your strength, the source of your life. And as Christians, there's many ways we can lean on God. There are many ways we can draw closer to God. None of them are rocket science. None of them are going to be new. They should not be aha moments. But you can pray. I don't think that's news to anybody. But to move closer to God, to lean more on God, you can pray. You can read the Bible and study it. You can enter into times of worship. You can come to church. For some reason, people's instinct when things get difficult is to step away from the church, to move out, and God is inviting us to take a step forward. When things get hard, lean into your faith all the more. You can connect with others who are growing too. Don't try and do this alone. The Christian life is not one meant to live, be lived as an individual but as a community of believers together. And believe it or not, serving others is a great way to lean on God, to give of yourself. The Word became flesh in Jesus so that the Word can become flesh in us. Jesus came not just to take care of his own people, but to bring salvation to all people. He came to live out the mission that God had called them to do. And it meant that people that thought they knew him had to meet Jesus again for the first time. And it was a difficult encounter. They wanted to throw him off the cliff. As Christians, as God, through his spirit, is making us more like Jesus, we will experience similar moments. The invitation, though, is to grow closer to God in those moments. And not, not draw, draw farther, farther back. back. And so, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to have the worship team come and I'm going to pray. And in this, this time, as they lead us in a time of response and prayer, if you need to talk to God, if you need to lean on him, say, this is the expectations, the, the demands, the, the doubts are weighing heavy on me. Take this as an opportunity to, to seek out God. He will meet you there. Let me pray for us.